Thank you, Barbara, for simple gifts. You know the words to that, tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free, tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, we'll be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. I've been thanking God for gifts today. One of those days, isn't it, when you walk outside and just say thank you. (laughs) Just great, great day, great weather, and... uh, it is, it is good to be back with God's people. It is good to be back with uh, my people. I don't mean to be presumptuous in saying that. I understand that both uh, Dr. Hatchett and uh, John Music preached wonderfully in my absence, and I am glad we are enriched by their ministries to us. Hope you know what um, a gift Dr. Hatchett is, not only to... Um, HBU and to us, but to the larger Christian community in this area. I get the chance to teach some of the students that he teaches, and I'm grateful, Randy, for your partnership in the gospel. And sometimes, truthfully, it's hard to find good supply preachers. Um, One uh, pastor invited a visiting minister who was very, very long-winded. Imagine that. Worse every time he would make a good point during his sermon. Somebody would say amen, and uh, he would just go into another lengthy discourse. And finally, the host pastor started responding just from the pulpit. He just said softly at first, amen, Pharaoh. Amen, Pharaoh. And uh, finally, after several more amen, Pharaohs that he didn't understand, the guest preacher concluded with Uh, just his lengthy sermon, and after the service concluded, he he went to the pastor and he said, what exactly did you mean when you said, amen, Pharaoh? He said, I meant, let my people go. (laughs) This has gone on long enough. Well, one of the most dramatic confrontations in history involved that very statement, let my people go. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. Moses delivered that message to Pharaoh. We find that story in the book of Exodus, and there is so much in the book of Exodus that I might share with you tonight, but it seems to me that in the days we find ourselves, the days in which we live, that perhaps the most significant message I could bring to you from this book is this message, No Compromise, that is rooted in chapters 8 and 10, right in the middle of the plagues. Uh, Pharaoh, when he gets fed up with some of the pain that he is enduring, begins to propose a series of compromises to Moses, and Moses has to respond to those. And I want us to look at those four compromises tonight because they are not unlike the compromises which the world poses to us even as we worship this evening. Would you open your Bibles with me to Exodus uh, chapter 8? Exodus chapter 8, verse 24. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. And throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by the flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices... 
that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will not let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but I will let you go, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. And Moses answered, as soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only be sure that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Not a fly remained, but this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Thank you. You may be seated. We'll pick up a few verses in chapter 10 in a few moments. When we left Israel, they were just a large family, weren't they? You remember we left off in Genesis with Joseph talking to his brothers saying, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Genesis 50-20 vision, we call it. It is a, a picture of a family that has been delivered through God's providence. They are safe and secure in Egypt and Years pass and generations pass and there arises a Pharaoh who does not remember that Joseph was the second uh, leader of all of Egypt, uh, the prime minister, we might say, of all of Egypt, Pharaoh's right-hand man. There arises a Pharaoh who no longer remembers Joseph. And by this time, we're no longer dealing with the family, but the people of Israel have developed into a nation Unfortunately, they are a nation of servants. They are slave labor to the people of Egypt, and they are being forced to labor. And as they grow and increase, Pharaoh begins to fear them in his own insecurity, and he begins uh, to put their children to death. It is a, a dark and dismal period in their lives. But in the midst of that, God gives hope to the Israelites through the birth of a child. Born in a time when he should not have survived, Moses is protected not only by his family, but as God would have it, by Pharaoh's family, by Pharaoh's daughter, and he is raised in that house with the finest education that the world would offer and raised in that there comes a day when he sees himself potentially as the deliverer of his people, tries to take matters into his own hands, and discovers that he cannot in his own strength accomplish God's purpose for his life and for Israel. And so, you remember, he flees to, to Midian, he flees to the desert, and there in Midian he um, begins a different chapter of his life, a new 40 years, we might say. And in those 40 years, he gets married, and he has a, a father-in-law, and he becomes a shepherd. And there in the desert one day, we may give thanks that he happened upon Horeb. He met God on the mountain. There in the burning bush, God revealed Himself to him. It's a, a ma marvelous passage. It says, when, when God saw that Moses stopped to look, then He spoke to Moses and revealed His purpose for Moses' life and says, I am the God who has seen my people. I have heard their cry and I care about them and I have come down that I might deliver them. And Moses, you are the instrument. You are my agent of deliverance 
for my people. And Moses has all kinds of excuses. And when God gets him through those and Moses and his brother Aaron come finally to Pharaoh, it is one of the most dramatic uh, conflicts in recorded history. If, if we think Ali Frazier or Tyson Holyfield or, uh, or Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran were dramatic confrontations, none of them compares to the moment when the greatest king on earth meets the messenger of the king of kings. And Moses says, thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And Pharaoh has the audacity and the arrogance to say, who is this Lord of whom you speak? Who is this God that I should obey his voice? Just get back to your work and be a slave as your people are slaves. And thus begins a series not only of magnificent displays of God's power, but a series of ten consecutive plagues that garner Pharaoh's undivided attention. And along the way, he tries to compromise by saying, well, what if you just worshipped your God here in the land? That's the first compromise. Or what if you just went a short distance into the land? That's the second compromise. Or what if you went but left your children behind? Or what if you left but leave all of your possessions behind. And in each instance, with a steel will, Moses is resolved to do precisely what God has sent him to do. He says no to every compromise. And as we read these compromises, I'm reminded of Peter Marshall who once identified these in a different generation and said, these are the compromises that we are dealing with in our world today, and I suspect that statement has never been more true than it is right now. And as Moses did not compromise, neither can we. Exodus reminds us that God will indeed deliver His people, but we are not to compromise in the least on His plan for our lives. Notice the first of these compromises is listed there in verse 25 and 26, when Pharaoh summons Moses and Aaron and says, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. And um, Moses has uh, begun this series of plagues already. There have, been, uh, there have been blood and frogs and gnats. And when the gnats come, Pharaoh's magicians cannot duplicate that miracle. And remember what they said in chapter 8, verse 19, this is surely the finger of God. This is not just uh, some magic, but this is clearly God's hand. And it's not the blood or the frogs or the gnats that finally cause Pharaoh to offer a compromise. It is, in fact, the flies, the fourth of the plagues. No kidding. No matter how powerful you are, you can be bothered by a fly. Just this week, I read about Fritz Darges, who was the, the last living associate of Adolf Hitler. He passed away this past week at the age of 96. He was in the inner circle of uh, Hitler's uh, government, and uh, there was a meeting on one occasion, the story is told, and there was a fly that was bothering the Fuhrer. And he looked at Dargis and said, get rid of that fly. That is your job right now, to get rid of that fly. 
And Dargis, um, not perhaps thinking clearly, said, that would seem to me to be a problem of flying which would relate to the Air Force. So I think the general who's in charge of the Air Force ought to take care of the fly. And that got him promptly sent to the front line, to the Eastern Front, where uh, Hitler sent him to, to get his attention and show him that he could die if he was not willing to take care of the fly. Well, it was after the flies that Pharaoh suggested his first compromise. He says, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. That is, why can't you do what God wants you to do and what I want you to do simultaneously? Why can't you just serve the Lord and serve me simultaneously? Why can't we just get along and you serve God, but do it on my terms? Go sacrifice to your God here in the land. But Moses refuses that idea. He knows that he must take the people out of that area to the mountain of God. And remember that Henry Blackaby says, we cannot stay where we are and go with God. The idea in our culture that we can be devoted followers of Jesus Christ and simultaneously agree with the culture around us in every dimension is a grave mistake. I've been reading Tim Keller's little book on idolatry. It's a new book that he has produced. And he reveals again what John Calvin said so many years ago, that our hearts are idol-making factories. And then, in fact, if you and I espouse the cultural values of the world that we live in, we will surely find ourselves again and again at odds with God. No, as Blackaby says, we must find out what God is doing and join Him in that, and that assumes some movement on our part. I wonder if you and I have ever been taken by this compromise where we have settled for less than God has for us. I remember reading recently in 2 Kings chapter 13 when the great prophet Elisha was very ill. Elisha, he was about to die and, uh, and the uh, king of Israel, Jehoash, comes to him and says uh, the chariots of, uh, of, of fire are coming and, and in that moment Elisha says, you know, I'm going to help you out. Why don't you take your bow and arrow and shoot your arrow out the window? And uh, Jehoash does that and when he does... Um, then the, the prophet Elisha says, great, just as you have shot that arrow out the window in obedience, God will give you victory over your enemies, the Arameans and the Syrians. And he says, now strike the ground. And, and uh, timidly, Jehoash strikes it timidly three times. And Elisha says, because you were timid and didn't strike it five or six times, you, you will not defeat them as soundly as God wanted you to. In other words, because you didn't go all in, you're going to miss God's plan and purpose for your life. It is a danger for us. We, we must not follow God part of the way. We know we can't walk with God and live in sin simultaneously. God will use His Word to keep us from sin, or sin will keep us from following God. The second compromise we notice is there in verse 28. Don't go too far with your relationship with God. He says, okay, I understand. Pharaoh says, okay, I understand you need to go, but you don't have to go far. Just go, just go a three-day distance into the desert. Just, just go close by and come back and get these flies out of my palace. It's a, a simple compromise. Go, but come right back. Why, why doesn't Moses go for that compromise? He knew that the great temptation of the people of Israel would be 
to want to return to Egypt. How many times in the book of Exodus do we see that when they face some obstacle or some difficulty, they say, you know, it was easier back in Egypt than it is here. It's easier to live comfortably in a place where we're being oppressed as slaves than it is to follow God and face the difficult task of obeying Him every day. It has well been said that it took God only a year to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but it took Him 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. And in our own lives, we call this process sanctification, whereby God removes from our lives those things that He does not want and replaces those things with a deeper love for Himself. Keith Green sang a song back in my college days. He gave out a free album called, So You Want to Go Back to Egypt? And he tells the story of the people who um, were tired of the manna and wanted to go back to the leeks and the onions. They, they missed the cuisine of Egypt, and they would rather go back to, to slavery and eat the food they wanted to eat than to eat God's food and follow God on the path that He was leading them on. And in that same album, Keith Green had another song that said, You love the world, and you're avoiding me. When we love the world, we inevitably avoid God. 1 John 2, verse 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for everything in the world. Now, here's the definition of the world. The cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man or woman who does the will of God lasts forever. James 4, 4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? The love of sin is, in our world is hatred toward God. And so often, this is the compromise posed to us. You want to become a follower of Jesus Christ? That's great. But don't get fanatical about it. Don't go all in. And Jesus said in Luke 9 to a a would-be follower, if you take up the plow and look back, you are not worthy of receiving the kingdom. There's really only one way to follow God, and that is all the way. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Moses said no. So the plagues continued. After the flies came the plague on the livestock and then the boils and then the hail and then the locusts. And Pharaoh persisted in his stubbornness. He would not yield to the greatness of God. You understand that Pharaoh perceived himself as a god, and so why would he bow to another god of a lesser people, not knowing that the god of that people was the only true god? I read about a confrontation like this uh, this week. A a lawyer ran a stop sign up in Ohio. He was from New York, and uh, he was pulled over by a sheriff's deputy, and the deputy um, pulled him over, and he thought, well, surely I, a, a lawyer from New York, am smarter than this sheriff's deputy from Ohio. And so when the uh, deputy said, I need to see your license and registration, the lawyer said, why? And he said, well, you, you didn't come to a complete stop at the stop sign. That's why. And the lawyer said, well, I slowed down. Nobody was coming. What's the big deal? You still didn't come to a complete stop, said the deputy. License and registration, please. Well, the lawyer said, well, what's the difference? The difference is, he said, you have to come to a complete stop. I need to see your license and registration. And uh, the lawyer said, well, if you can show me the legal difference between slow down and stop, I'll give you my license and registration. You can give me a ticket. 
He said, that sounds fair. Please exit your vehicle, sir. And uh, the lawyer got out of the car, at which point the deputy took out his nightstick and started beating the daylights out of the lawyer and said, now, do you want me to stop or just slow down? Which do you want me to do? There is a difference between stopping and slowing down. Pharaoh now wants the plagues to stop, but he still offers two further compromises. We see the first in chapter 10, verse 8. Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go worship the Lord your God, he said. But just who will be going? This is chapter 10, verse 9. Moses answered, We will go with our young and old, with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. And Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you if I let you go along with your women and children. Clearly you are bent on evil. No, have only the men go and worship the Lord, since that's what you've been asking for. And then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And Moses stretched forth his hand and the locusts came. I wonder what might have happened if only the men had gone. That's Pharaoh's compromise. Just leave your families behind. Well, I think Pharaoh understood that if only the men went into the wilderness, the men would quickly have returned for their families. Or even if they did not, then Pharaoh might have lost one generation of laborers, but the children could have perpetuated the practice and he wouldn't have lost as much. To this day, people will say to me, hey, if you want to follow God, that, that's fine, but, but don't impose that on your children. We have um, had friends through the years who said, we will let our children choose their own religion. This sounds so generous of parents. Each child must find his or her own way. I um, think it's a rather dangerous practice, though not unlike that mother in New York City who was trying to raise an independent son recently, and she decided that at the age of 10 she would turn him loose on the subways of New York City. It made 2020 one night, and uh, the story was that she let him go wherever he wanted to go, and he was so independent, and she said, I just want my son to be able to do whatever he wants to do. Well, there are some things we do not trust. There are some things too dangerous to trust if we leave if, if we leave it up to our children, it could be that they do not choose a faith at all. And by the way, the idea that our children should be able to choose from a great smorgasbord of faith would imply that all faiths are equal, that all will sort of get us to the, the same place. But in fact, they will not get us to the same place. I was riding with a friend on the bus this morning, and, uh, and uh, he waited patiently for me to get out of my car and get on the bus. And and I smiled and said, I appreciate your patience. He said, oh, we're all going to the, the same place. And I said, well, we on this bus are, but not everybody in the world is all going to the same place. And he said, no offense, I wasn't trying to, uh, to offend you in any way. And I said, no, no, I just hear that so often. And our greatest work as parents is to introduce our children to relationship with God. And if Moses had taken that one generation and left the others behind, he would have left them in slavery. He would have left them to a life of misery where they would have continued to be oppressed. And God wanted more for them than that. And I'll go out beyond that and say God likely wants more for our children than we want for our children. Recent surveys say that Christians would be content if their children got the best education and the best jobs and made a good living whether or not they were deeply devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But can we just agree tonight that if our kids gain the whole world and lose their souls, it will not profit them. We are responsible 
It is our highest responsibility. More important than making sure they wear the right tennis shoes or go to the right schools or get the right jobs. Much more important is to introduce them to relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I have to say, we can't take our children anywhere that we haven't been. And so we need personal relationships with Jesus Christ if we're going to take them with us. Glenn Adset was a missionary to China who was under house arrest there. One day, the Chinese soldiers told him and his wife, you can return to America and you can take 200 pounds with you. 200 pounds of stuff. In the midst of their celebration, the family began to debate about what they would take. They had been there for years. 200 pounds, you will agree, uh, is not very much stuff, about four big suitcases. And so they got the scales and they started arguing about what was important. And the mom and dad and two children didn't have the same priorities, so they compromised. They would add something and take something else off. Another one, one wanted a typewriter. Uh, today that would be, I guess, a laptop. Another the books, another a special vase. And finally, they had 200 pounds on the dot. And the soldiers came and said, are you ready? And the missionary said, yes, we are. And they said, did you weigh everything? And they said, yes, we did. And the, the uh, Chinese soldier said, did you weigh the kids? And the missionary said, No. Weigh the children, they asked. Weigh the children, the soldier said. And in a moment, the typewriter and the books and the vase all became trash. I think of Socrates who, who stood before the people of Athens and said, Oh, fellow citizens of Athens, why do you scrape and turn every stone in order to gain wealth and take so little care of your children to whom you must someday entrust it all. And I wonder if God will not someday ask us, did you in your calculations of value weigh the children? And if we really value them, we'll take them with us all the way to relationship with God. Moses refused to leave the families there. And we come finally now tonight to verse 21, the plague of darkness in chapter 10, verse 21, just a few more verses, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness will spread over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days and no one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. And then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and your herds behind. But Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We, we have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. Well, this is the economics of it. Pharaoh says, hey, I don't mind losing this generation, but you're not going to take the stuff that you've accumulated here with you. Just leave all your stuff. You'll not take any of Egypt's wealth with you. And I wonder, what do you think? Can we become followers of Jesus Christ and somehow keep our possessions in a separate category away from Him? This compromise is, hey, follow God, but at the same time, worship the God of mammon. 
accumulate and acquire and, and get all the stuff that you can get in this world. And just like everybody else around you value material things so much that they become your obsession and even your God with a little G. But go to church on Sundays and talk about Jesus. But, but your stuff is your stuff. And I would warn you against that compromise not only because of the impact it might have on the kingdom of God, but precisely because of the impact it might have on your life and mine that you and I cannot afford to worship mammon and God at the same time. We cannot take the culture's standards of wealth and say, I have to have everything every non-Christian has and simultaneously think that I can serve the Lord. The life of following Christ. Read Richard Foster's chapter in um, a celebration of discipline. The life of a Christian is a simple life so that we live simply in a way that enables us to give generously to others. I remember as a young pastor, I, um, I joined um, a church. I became the pastor of a church at the age of 22. The chairman of the pastor's search committee was... Um, a wonderful man, and, and um, not long after I went to the church, I went with him and visited in a trailer, and there were two young ladies there who became followers of Jesus Christ. They were teenagers. I was so elated when we baptized them, and I remember afterward he came to me and surprised me by saying, really leading young people to Christ is not what this church needs. What we need is to get families. And I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, well, if we get families, then we'll be able to support the budget. And what we have is a budget crisis. And so we've got to get families and just leading kids to Christ isn't going to be enough. And I thought, wow, he is really worried about the budget. And so I became very worried about the budget and we worked hard on it. And there came a time when the budget was doing well and the treasurer of the church told me it was. And I said, wow, that's great because he's going to be very pleased. And she said, what does he have to do with it? And I said, well, he's very worried about the budget. And she said, that's interesting because he has never in the 10 years he's been a member of this church ever given anything to the budget. And somehow he was the chairman of the pastor search committee. And his own guilt made him worry about the budget. But it didn't move him to give. To follow Christ is to recognize that everything we have is a gift from God. I read this week in... Um, a little book about a man who has given so much, a philanthropist who's given so much, and then because of the crises with the stock market, had literally lost everything he had. He was reduced to, to nothing, just the shirt on his back. And somebody said to him, don't you regret all of those things that you gave to the church? And he said, no, because those are the only things I have left. The things I gave are the only things that I have left. The amazing part of the story is that when Israel left Egypt, they not only left with their stuff. You remember the story? They left with everybody else's stuff too. God gave them favor. And with the people of Egypt, they acquired stuff and they took all the stuff with them. And that stuff became, remember the story later in the book of Exodus of building the tabernacle and all the wealth that it took to build that. And that was precisely the stuff that God used. God not only got Pharaoh to let his people go, but he got Pharaoh to pay their way and pay the way for them to worship him appropriately. And so Moses did not succumb to that compromise either. Just stay in the land. Don't go very far. Leave your children behind. Leave your possessions behind. No, we will go as God has called us to go without a single compromise. 
The temptation to compromise is strong. Ron Hutchcraft tells about a visit to Fort Sumter in Charleston Harbor, South Carolina, and as his tour boat approached Fort Sumter, he wondered in this uh, sort of um, remake of the ancient days, the old days, whether the guides would be dressed in blue or in gray. Because if you remember, Fort Sumter had been a Union fort in Confederate territory to change hands several times. Would they be wearing blue or would they be wearing gray? They were greeted by a, a soldier at the gate who was wearing a blue coat and gray pants. This uniform would not have worked well back in 1861. It would have gotten him shot on both ends. It's not a good idea for a follower of Christ to send double signals to his world either. Compromise only increases our stress over the long haul. Exodus teaches us so much about God. We learn about God's deliverance. We learn about His presence going with His people. We learn about His covenant relationship with His people, the Ten Commandments, obeying Him and creating the tabernacle. God is our deliverer, and He shows us the way to live and calls us to avoid compromise. I saw a definition of immorality this week which may help us. It says, immorality is the cumulative product of small indulgences and minuscule compromises, the immediate consequences of which were at the time indiscernible. It's the little compromises, the small indulgences which lead to grave disobedience. It's late in the book of Exodus, chapter 33, verse 5, that God is finally fed up with the Israelites and He says, uh, I've given you the Ten Commandments. You've broken them repeatedly. I can't travel with you people anymore. I'm going to hurt somebody. I'm just paraphrasing. And Moses pleads with him and says, you haven't told me who's going to go up with us. And in chapter 33, verse 15, he says, do not let us go up without you. Because God, we don't want to go anywhere without you. And here's my word for you this week. Let that be our heart. We don't want to go anywhere without God. We want to stay in His presence. We don't want to compromise in any way. And I remember that song we sang when I was a boy. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock that shadows a dry, thirsty land. He hideth my life in the depths of His love and covers me there with His hand. And covers me there with His hand. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for allowing us to serve You. Thank You for Your hand on this church and on our lives. Lord, we believe that You've started something here, that, that You're leading us. And we pray, God, that You who have begun a good work in our lives would bring that work to its conclusion, to its glorious conclusion. So, Father, this week, when we are tempted to compromise our faith, I pray that You would help us to be obedient in every way, for Your glory alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.